You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Revelation. Here's Nate. Well, today as we turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, there are two complementary thoughts in my mind. One is, of course, is simply that the gospel is incredibly inclusive. In the sense that uh, there is no nation, tribe, tongue, culture, people, group that would be excluded from being able to receive the message of the gospel. This is part of the reason that the church has been able to historically thrive in a multitude of cultures. Whether it's high culture or low culture, first world or third world. Uh, the church has been able to have measures of success in different pockets of humanity. And this is because it's an invitation to all. But on the other hand, a truth that is complementary to that truth, that the gospel is incredibly inclusive in the sense that the invitation is, is, is sent out to all, the highways and the byways, so to speak. The gospel is also very exclusive. In other words, it is not synonymous with and is unable to cohabitate and coexist with uh, false religions. Uh, now, what I don't mean by that is that the church is somehow unable to exist in cultures that are predominantly pagan or uh, other uh, religion based. No, that's not true. The church has always been able to thrive inside of communities that, for the most part, adopt another religion or another perspective. What I mean, however, is that you cannot hold to New Ageism or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or worship of the earth or uh, you know, Mormonism or some kind of cult or the unity church or Christian science. You cannot hold to these things and also hold to the true and real gospel. Once you begin to cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, all of those religions, you know, secularism and Scientology and uh, Unitarian Universalism and Wicca and Neo-Paganism and, and the Eastern religions, all of that uh, has to be abandoned by the believer. And the massive question, of course, is where in the world do all of these belief systems actually come from? And I, I believe here, as we turn to Revelation chapter 17, I believe we're seeing two things. I believe we're seeing the true source and force behind all of the other religions and perspectives in the world. And I believe that we're also seeing the beginnings of God's judgment upon this source of the false religions that are found uh, inside of the world. And so we, of course, did not approach the book of Revelation expecting it to be light. It's a very intense kind of... Of book. Now, the book of Revelation, as I've said before, is the only book that comes with its own divine outline. I don't mean to belabor the point again today, but should simply say that in chapter 1, just to refresh your memory, uh, John heard the voice of Jesus telling him to write the things that he had seen. That would be Revelation chapter 1. 
the things which are, that would be Revelation 2 and 3, the churches uh, of Asia Minor that Jesus wrote letters to, they were current during John's day. They were things that are, and then Jesus said, and write the things which will take place after these things. And that phrase, after this or after these things, is repeated twice in Revelation 4, verse 1, where we move to the third section of the book of Revelation, first from the heavenly perspective in Revelation 4 and 5, and then back down to earth in Revelation chapter 6, where we see the unloosing of these seven scrolls of what I think is the title deed to the earth and the unloosing of the scrolls of this seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. Uh, and so the seals are loosed. When he gets to the seventh seal, seven trumpets are then blasted. And in the seventh trumpet, there are seven bowls of the wrath of God. And this is the most intense section in the book of Revelation where God's wrath is poured out uh, upon the world. And the amazing thing in the middle of all of this is that even though it's so obvious during this time that God is personally interacting with the earth, there will be so many whose hearts are hardened and who will not follow the Lord, but will actually follow a figure that we often refer to as the Antichrist. And in chapter uh, 12, 13, and 14 of Revelation, we see really an unfolding of the Great Tribulation. And, and, and even past that in, in history, into the birth of Christ and, and all of that from the heavenly perspective. And that's why the Antichrist is referred to as, as a beast and, uh, you know, seen in such gruesome and horrid uh, detail. And so again, here we are in chapter 17, seeing the perspective of God. What is it that he sees when he looks upon the world? What is it that he sees when he sees the false religions of the world? Now, before I read this first verse, I should also say that all the, though these are some of the most wonderful verses in the book of Revelation, I think, it, on the other hand, they're some of the most confusing. And, and for me, my attempt is not to put the finest edge on it and to try to define every detail that we see here, but to appreciate it for what it is and believe in the Lord and his ability. You know, Jesus shared a parable of a man who sowed good seed in his field and at night his enemies came and sowed the seeds of weeds in his field. Of course, in the morning, no one knew what had occurred until the seed began to sprout and grow and his servants saw that there was wheat mixed with weeds. And their question to the master was, do you want us to go in and pull out the weeds? And he says, well, you know, an enemy of mine has done this, but allow them to grow up together. And on the last day, that's when we will separate them when they are full grown. And Jesus expressed that that is the way it will be at the end of the age. And I believe that's what we're witnessing here in Revelation chapter 17. The false religions of the world full grown right alongside with Christianity. And the weeds are now being pulled out. It says in chapter 17 verse 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. 
Now, uh, he calls this figure a prostitute or a harlot. And he says in verse 2, he says, With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. And I think we have immediately here in this text, uh, which is going to show us the judgment of this figure called Babylon. We'll see that name in just a few short verses. But this figure Babylon is judged. And the angel says this figure, Babylon, is a prostitute. In other words, what whatever she does, she leads people into fornication. Now, as we move on in the text, I think we're going to discover this is not physical fornication, although that's part of it. Uh, this is not physical fornication that is primarily being spoken of. I think that's very obvious as we'll move through this. This is a spiritual fornication where people have turned against God and followed after the false religions of the world, which, of course, uh, you know, fits perfectly with what Babylon is biblically. And we'll see that in a moment. And she was over uh, many waters, it says in verse 1. She was dominating many people spiritually. And people were made drunk with her fornication. And uh, so she's very attractive. There's a, an intoxication, so to speak, uh, with these false religions that all stem from this mother of harlots called Babylon the Great. And it doesn't take... Uh, you know, much observation to look around and to see the head over heels intoxicated kind of relationship that so many people have with uh, false religions, paganism, secularism, whatever it might be. I live in a culture and in a generation that is falling in love with a neo-pagan kind of worldview. There's a desire for power, uh, but they don't want that power from the Holy Spirit and, and by walking in the light, they're attracted to it through dark kinds of things. I think this is one reason why uh, movies and novels and, you know, romance novels based on the theme of vampirism are so popular right now. Uh, you know, in part because there's this pull, there's this intoxication in and towards that direction. And we, we see this time and time again. In my parents' generation, the Beatles rolled around and began introducing Eastern religions. And again, there was an intoxication uh, with that as many people fell head over heels towards it because of that promotion. And, and we're seeing that there is something spiritual behind all of this. And so John says in verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And so we see this woman, uh, this prostitute. She's going to be called Babylon in a couple of verses. But we see this woman, and she's sitting on this beast 
full of blasphemous names with seven heads and ten horns. Now, we go back to Revelation 13, verse 1, and we discover that this is uh, the Antichrist who is tied into Satan himself. And so I believe what we're seeing here is that this woman, this false religious system, is involved with the Antichrist, involved with the Antichrist's government, and in turn involved with Satan himself. And in verse 4, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And so a brief description of what she looks like. Two things to notice. She's clothed in purple and scarlet, which biblically indicates the colors of government and the ruling class. She is a powerful figure, uh, much more powerful in an earthly, worldly sense than Christianity. Christianity has always been, you know, in its truest, purest form, a minority group uh, without major political power. Here, however, this woman, this Babylon, she is powerful and she's wealthy. Did you see that? She's clothed with jewels. She has a golden cup in her hand. She is a wealthy, powerful enterprise. And false religion is a major moneymaker throughout the world. And, and unfortunately, in many cultures and environments, false religion is incredibly wealthy. Well, the people that bow the knee to it and to these false gods languish in total poverty. I mean, if you go to India, you see this exemplified in a horrible sense. You see so many people suppressed, and they're suppressed at the end of the day because of a religious belief. And so this woman is incredibly wealthy. And in verse 5, it says that on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great. This is her name. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. And so John sees this woman. He records the name uh, written on her forehead. And the name is simple. It's Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. But let's just think about, I mean, the, the big name there is Babylon the Great. All right now, in the Old Testament, uh, there was Babel, of course, in Genesis chapter 11. And the city of Babel was hostile to God and really the originators of false worship. They were the first to really establish another religious system, attempting to build their ziggurat up to uh, heaven. And so uh, we see a couple of things about this name. First of all, John says it was a name of mystery. It, there's something spiritual about it. And she is the mother of prostitutes. In other words, she is the source of prostitution spiritually and of the earth's abominations, he said. And this is a word that is used throughout scripture to indicate idolatry and false worship. And so 
you know, you go all the way back to ancient Babylonian worship in Babel. You have Nimrod's wife, uh, Semiramis. Uh, you know, it's told that in, in uh, tradition that she birthed a miraculous savior son named Tammuz, who was killed by wild beasts and rose from the dead. You're seeing from the very beginning that there is a satanic imitation of the, the original and real uh, gospel message that God sent his only son, that he died a mortal wound on the cross of Calvary and was raised from the grave three days later for the saving of mankind. And so this false religious system seeks to imitate, seeks to replace God and his gospel and his redemptive work in saving mankind from their total ruin and fallenness. And John sees this false religious system, this mother of harlots and prostitutes, he sees this Babylon the Great drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. In, in other words, what John is seeing from a spiritual realm and in a, in a, with spiritual sight is he's seeing that the chief persecutor of Christianity and of God's people has been false religion. A false religion has been the worst enemy of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. I know it's not always like this in every single culture, but it's very obvious in the culture that I'm living in, in the United States, that the religion that people are hostile towards is Christianity. Other religions are tolerated, received, uh, exonerated, and in many ways honored. Uh, even if disagreed with, they're honored. But for some reason, Christianity is the one that receives the ire of so many people. And so here we see that there's a spiritual thing behind that. There is this woman, this system, this religious spirit called Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes who persecutes God's church. And so John, he says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. John is seeing uh, a description of everything that he'd watched with his own two eyes and experienced with his own body persecution he endured, he was now understanding what was behind it. Now here in verse 7 is where the text gets more technical and difficult to uh, interpret. He says, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Okay, so, so the angel says, I'll explain this. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And so he gives this description of, of the beast and this isn't as difficult. It seems obvious and going back to Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 7 that the beast who was and is not and who will come or about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. It seems 
simple enough to say that this character is the Antichrist that we read of in Revelation chapter 13. The people of the earth marvel at this figure. And when you read Revelation 13, it's no wonder that they marvel because he will receive a mortal wound and appear to rise from the dead. And so there will be a worldwide infatuation with this man. But then he goes on in verse 9 and says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. And this is, again, where it gets more difficult. And there's, he says, he even gives the caveat, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom had fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast, verse 11, that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Now let me speak about this for just a moment. In verse 9, we see these seven heads with seven mountains. And of course, the question is, uh, what is this? Who are these seven heads and seven mountains? Some believe uh, this to be a mere reference to Rome. Uh, it has long been regarded as a city on seven hills. And uh, Rome, as you observe, especially the book of Daniel, is clearly involved in and regarded in end times prophecy. And so perhaps this is Rome that he's referencing. Others, however, believe that the seven heads and the seven mountains are a reference to seven world governments. Uh, mountains in Scripture, Daniel 2, verse 35, and as an example, are often pictures of massive world powers in Scripture, governments. And world governments are dealt with scripturally and in the Bible. And so some believe this to be a reference to seven world governments. And this woman is involved with each one of these governments. Uh, and uh, her false religion permeates each one of them. So in verse 10, there are these seven kings. These are also seven kings. And so for those who see this, these seven heads and seven mountains as Rome... They see these seven kings as a succession of seven Roman emperors. Uh, the one that is would be Domitian. And uh, so there would be five fallen emperors who were killed or died unexpectedly. And the eighth would be Antichrist. He was and would return. And so the, perhaps the same demonic uh, strength as Caesar Nero. This is the interpretation of some. Others, though, who view this to be seven world governments, would, would look into history and see seven world ruling kings. Of five in the past at the time of John. Egypt, Assyria, uh, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece. And then the sixth would be Rome. And the one that has not yet come would be the revived Roman Empire, uh, revived once again, and the eighth would be that empire then hijacked by the Antichrist and his uh, worldwide rule and domination. Whatever the interpretation 
is. I mean, he says this calls for a mind with wisdom. Whatever the interpretation is, it's obvious that this is a major governmental political uh, figure. And the false religion of the world, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations, is involved with this system and involved with this figure. <laughs> it just strikes me as I'm teaching this that this is probably not the kind of text that you're hoping your pastor is teaching on a Sunday morning that you bring a non-believing friend to church. I mean, it's just intense when you think about it. And, uh, but this is very real and the perspective of God. And as for the beast, verse 11, that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And so we understand and know the end. For, for whatever isn't clear in all of this, this part is clear. The end is destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, verse 12, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. And so, personally, I think there are ten future nations and kings that join together temporarily, one hour in this text, to join in with the Antichrist and have a you know world-ruling kind of organization together. I don't know who these nations are. I'm not going to name names. I really have no idea. You know, people got all excited when the euro was established, you know, one currency and, and all of that. But, you know, who knows? I mean, Greece even has produced a, a, a euro dollar with a woman riding a beast on it. But, you know, uh, this is not clear now, but will be clear at some point. And these are of one mind, and they hand over their power, verse 13, and authority to the beast. So these nations just say, look, Antichrist, world leader, we will follow you wholeheartedly. Here is our power and our might and our strength. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So a word of hope in the middle of all this. A day is coming that Jesus is going to rule and reign and defeat the, uh, you know, this, this woman, her system, and the false religious system in the world. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So, uh, we saw at the beginning of this chapter that this woman was seated on the many waters. And I told you that that is indicative of her worldwide domination and presence. And here the angel affirms that. He says, listen, the waters that you saw, it's just people, multitudes, nations, languages. This woman, this figure, this false religious system, she dominates across the globe. And the ten horns, verse 16, that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. There will come a point where the Antichrist and his system will turn against the false religious system, probably because the Antichrist himself demands worship. And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind 
and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So we've seen Babylon now from the religious perspective. Chapter 18, we'll see Babylon from a world philosophy and system perspective. But here we see it from a religious perspective. And here's what we need to know. That Jesus and the gospel in the Bible is the true, the, the real. Uh, it, it is the message that God longs people on earth to receive. And everything else is a counterfeit and a cheap substitute. And so let us remember that as we worship the God of the Bible. All these other false religions will be judged. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.